The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub. Thanks for joining us on a special Wednesday edition of the show. Today, we're going to be talking about potential rankings changes in the aftermath of preseason week one. Justin Fields and Trey Lance will be part of that conversation as we go position by position through some changes, as well as some late round running back flyers to consider. I'm joined by John Daigle, Denny Carter, and Kyle Dvorak. Guys, Pat Doherty is conspicuously absent here, and I believe I know why. Tomorrow, Thursday, there will be a special guest joining the show. WWE superstar The Miz will be here. He is an avid fantasy football player, apparently a Browns fan. My understanding, however, is that Pat Doherty is not historically a big wrestling guy. However, in the process of prepping for this interview with The Miz, he has become a borderline fanatic, I believe. So (laughs) as we speak right now, he is grinding wrestling tape, getting ready, just laser focused on this thing. The goal will be to allow Denny to unlock the Miz's career in 20 minutes, because I believe that's how long we have him for. And so that is my that is my whole goal, is for Denny to understand wrestling and the Miz's career mm-hmm. by the time he leaves us and we go to the next segment. I've, I, I think I can do that. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fast learner. Um, you told me before the show that there is something called wrestling. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a good, that's a good spot to start. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 
Well, we're here today to look at some fantasy rankings we might need to adjust after week one of the preseason. As Kyle pointed out recently offline to all of us, this is our first real live football since February, if you consider preseason to be real. So we're going to go position by position here and look at some performances that might force us to adjust the rankings. Start with quarterbacks. Justin Fields, as we all know by now, completed 14 to 20 passes, 142 yards and a touchdown, also ran five times for 33 yards and a score. Basically showed a lot of what we wanted to see, and we still don't know when he's going to start for the Bears, but start with you, Denny. How aggressive are you going to be with Fields now? And I'd love to approach this not only from one quarterback leagues, but also super flex leagues if we could. Yeah, it's, you know, gotten to the point now between the training camp comments, uh, you know, from Bears coaches, including Matt Nagy, and then his play uh, against the Dolphins, and then his comments after the game when they said, you know, uh, you know, what do you think of the speed of the NFL game compared to college? And Justin Fields humbly said, uh, that's actually pretty slow. It's slower than I thought. <laughs> and I think that I know I know that sounds, you know, super, very confident, but I, I think that that is telling. That is a, a telling comment from the rookie. It's just a matter of time. And I think that, you know, the, the way I'm playing it in one quarterback formats is if I if I really am focused on getting fields or Lance, I get them wherever they're going, I guess. And it, de- it depends, I guess, on what kind of, le- or, you know, this, the savviness of people in your league. But Fields is going in the, in the 11th round right now. That's his ADP. If you can get him and then one other late round quarterback who has like a pretty decent start to the season, you know, pretty, pretty good matchups in week one and week two, maybe Sam Darnold, perhaps. I know that this is sounding grosser by the minute. Uh, but uh, that you know that you can you can ride it out until Fields gets the job. I think that I'm I'm going to play it that way. And you know Fields is rushing upside like we saw against Miami. It's just off the charts. It's you know RG three esque rookie year. So I'm very excited. Obviously, I have been telling people from the beginning it is Lance my super flex approach because usually you can pick off four to five skill players outside of quarterback that are getting passed on just so everyone can prioritize that position. And then two of the group of Justin Fields, Sam Darnold, and Zach Wilson. Darnold and Wilson. Wilson in particular, uh, we are very confident they're going to play 17 games this season. And I want those rushing upside quarterbacks mixed with those guys who we knew were going to start. Darnold, we got even more confident after week one because if there was anyone that needed to play preseason reps from what we've seen from his career, it was probably him. And yet they were so confident they just benched him. They didn't even care. So uh, so we can actually have more confident in drafting Darnold, who I've talked about on the show before, has an easy six-week schedule to open the year, not to mention it gets easy beyond that as well. Uh, having said that, from just a personnel perspective of viewing him on film, I've talked to people who also were down on Justin Fields because he did struggle a little bit in the second quarter, but I want to remind everyone that just in case you didn't watch him in college, like, and I mentioned this on the pod yesterday with Pat Crane, Eric Vine for his strengths are his weaknesses. It's very Deshaun Watson, like where he is always going to rank tops in the league and holding the ball far too long. He was among the top in the nation, holding the ball at Ohio state last year and throughout his career. Uh, in week one, he was second to last only, only ahead of Ian book, who was just, bad quarterback anyways uh nearly five seconds per drop back until the time he threw from the snap for fields and that's just the way he is because that's going to be a double-edged sword in unlocking his strengths and evading pass rushers and getting the ball downfield so just expect more of that and i think it's exactly what we should have expected from him in that first performance 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson is another great example of these guys who like their mistakes are, are kind of noticeable. They may take too many sacks or whatever, but those have so little bearing on what happens for fantasy. Like they are good real life, if not great real life quarterbacks and their fantasy ceiling is even higher because fantasy doesn't really punish you for mistakes. You really just get rewarded for the upside plays more than you get punished for bad plays where the NFL is at least somewhat closer, like a real balance of like interceptions actually matter. If you hold on the ball or you throw into tight windows, like that's perfect. Just play aggressive, play like, like good Jameis Winston, essentially don't do quite honestly do as poorly as James Winston. James Winston was a great fantasy quarterback. If you, if, yeah, who cares? Like just make, make the only reason mistakes are bad really is if they get you benched. Like, the real thing we want is just guys who are willing to play aggressive, throw down field, use their legs. And that's exactly what we're going to see from Justin Fields. And his rushing stats in college weren't incredible, but that's because he didn't need to because his passing stats were incredible. Now at the NFL level, if that balances out to even more rushing, all the better. So really, I think I, I completely agree with Daigle and Denny that in single quarterback leagues, you just want a guy to hold you over. Like this is the, the Andy Dalton experiment is not going to last long. We saw it last year with Trubisky. They were they were two and zero, or I believe three and zero, and then in the middle of the third or maybe it was the fourth game, they benched Trubisky because Nagy's at least sharp enough to realize like like he's not going to just see like look at the wins and, and play as if they were actually a, a undefeated three zero type of team. So I think as soon as we see a handful of mistakes, which will come early from Andy Dalton, he's going to get pulled. So you need a guy who lasts you two good Sam Darnold games, and then you're going to get Justin Fields. And then kind of the same strategy for me, at least applies in Superflex. You just have to add another one of those quarterbacks on because eventually you will get the same with Trey Lance. You will get a QB one down the road. It's just, you do have to wait a little bit. You can bide your time with a handful of QB twos for me that, you know, Sam Darnold is the perfect example of that. I think like Daniel Jones could be that kind of guy too. just a handful of middling performances where he puts up some rushing yards. You're just trying to hold on, hold on to mediocre play until you get supercharged by Justin Fields until your roster gets a top eight QB with Trey Lance. You just need to hold on until then. And then you are set. And I want to say good luck to Matt Nagy getting through a full home game in which Andy Dalton throws an interception. I, I just, I just want to say that'll be, that'll be tough. That'll be tough, but I believe you can do it, Matt. The first pass that Andy Dalton even sails is going to be like roars from yeah, the crowd. I would imagine. Exactly. Did you see the crowd? The crowd was delirious uh, on, on Saturday against the Dolphins and rightfully so. Well, just wait yeah. because Justin Fields is now battling an injury and may not play in week two, which means they're going to play Andy Dalton more. So get ready. It's going to get interesting. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, meanwhile, Trey Lance completed just 5 of 14 passes in his preseason debut, but one of those, of course, was an 80-yard missile to Trent Shurfield for a touchdown. Lance also took four sacks, had a number of throws way off target, you know, a couple that maybe should have been picked. Daigle, we know you were drafting Lance a lot in best ball leagues over the summer. Now taking into account this preseason debut where we saw both at least one fantastic sign and some signs he needs more time, how are you approaching him in season-long leagues at this point? The strategy doesn't change. Even if Trent Sherfield drops that pass, like the ADP doesn't matter, no matter what Lance did in that situation. Um, I'm still taking him as the QB 12, QB 13, and that's a reach. Like he goes pretty far down the board for redraft mm-hmm. leagues. And again, I think you should either, it's two strategies to take depending on your roster. You know your league mates and league much better than I do. 
Uh, you draft Lance, and then the very last round, you grab a Sam Donald or Kirk Cousins, who, as I've mentioned before, have such easy schedules through the first six games. They can easily hide Lance. And you typically do not want to have two quarterbacks on your roster and redraft. I understand that. But Lance's upside is so tantalizing. Top 10, top 7, top 5 even, perhaps, uh, given the rushing floor, that you want that player on your bench to start the rest of the year as a matchup-proof player the moment he takes over. And I still believe, at worst-case scenario, he takes over after the team's week six by in week seven or what you want to do is you draft Lance anyways if you're drafting this weekend or the upcoming weekends and then you wait until week one and if for whatever reason he's not declared the starter then you grab Darnold or Wilson again you know you're lead better than I do off waivers because the Jets play the Panthers in week one it is a game that has the Jets team total at 19 the total is 44 last I checked I believe and it's too low like Vegas got the number wrong um, I expect it to be one of the heaviest roster games for DFS it's going to likely be a big shootout especially from the Panthers side of the ball since the Jets secondary if you haven't looked is basically 12 garbage cans out there standing around I say 12 because they need an <laughs> extra one out there and it's not going to matter so I'm actually adding one of those like right before kickoff and still having Lance on my roster if you don't have the room to spare in your redraft league. That's a really good point. You can definitely, there are like a lot of guys, say Justin Jackson would be a perfect example. You're like, oh, I want to have Justin Jackson on the back of my roster. And then the week four, week one, it looks like Josh Kelly has usurped him. You immediately know, okay, we can get rid of Justin Jackson. That's the guy you're going to cut to pick up Darnold. You do have to know your league. Like there are some like more, I would say more casual leagues where the guy who has Lamar Jackson still wants a backup quarterback. If you have Lamar Jackson, you don't actually need a backup quarterback. You just pick up a guy on the bye. But some leagues, you may know that your your league mates are going to, no matter what, roster two quarterbacks. Then maybe you actually draft the guy you want at the end. But as long as you know that there's only going to be, say, 14, 15, 16 quarterbacks rostered, the quarterback 18 or 19 in terms of ADP can still have, as with Darnold, perfect example, can still have an awesome game to start off the year. So for me, if I can at all, I'm taking sort of contingent value training camp kind of guys like say, uh, you know, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, pick whoever you want out of that group. If you find out you've made the wrong decision, perfect, cut him, move on to the quarterback you need to start week one with. Lance, uh, you know, I think he is going a little higher than than Fields, um, yeah. but I, I would... Honestly, I'd have a hard time prioritizing Lance that much over over Fields. I, I I would prefer Lance, but I don't know if I'm like gonna go all in on reaching for him early. This, by the way, all this this approach applies especially to ten team leagues where there's going to be you know four to six startable quarterbacks on your waiver wire. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's really not a question of of if it will happen. Trust me on this. Um, I guess unless you're in a league where everybody rosters three quarterbacks for some reason, but if you're in a normal league with normal folks, um, you should be fine. You should be fine to to get through a week or two. Can't imagine that it'll be more than that for either Lance or or Fields. If I told you, and maybe you already know this, but would you change your approach if you knew that like the Bears? passing schedule schedule in general was far more ridiculously tougher than the 49ers because that's the way Warren Sharp's tools have it at Sharp football stats right now. Like the 49ers Mm -hmm. are projected with the easiest schedule by a lot. Um, They're the team. If you look at the graphic, like the logos right here and the other teams in the NFL, the second place is like right down here. Whereas the bears are still buried um, at the bottom of the league with one of the toughest schedules throughout the year. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is a factor. And I, and I would, I would prefer Lance. Uh, I just think when you're talking about a rushing quarterback, you know, like a Fields, 
it, it, it might not matter as, as much, you know, and, and especially quarterback. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause we know those points are replaceable. That, that makes sense. Uh, and maybe I'm allowing bias to take over for my Lance opinion, since really he's not a value anymore. I've been saying this for like two or three months where he was a value. Now he's not having said that I, I'm still just going to tell it's almost like a bet on the organization and the talent around him that he will be that much better than fields if let's say they started the same amount of games because we have Kittle, IU, Debo to work with, and just an intelligent play caller, whereas we have, uh, I don't know, uh, Allen Robinson and prayers for the Bears. That's right. Danny, I just want to check in. I hope you covered your ears for the part where Kyle talked about dropping Justin Jackson a minute ago. Are you okay? It's, Were you okay there? It's upsetting. Uh, I, I tried to ignore it. I'm, I'm, I'm now sweating, but uh, <laughs> I, I think we can move past it. I, I don't know if this is in the running back section we're going to get to in a bit here. But I will say that, like, yes, Josh Kelly is the apparently, like, the backup or whatever. But uh, the thing is, like, Josh Kelly's bad. Like, he was so inefficient and so horrid as a goal line runner last year. And he was basically the same thing this first week of preseason. So, like, even if that's the case where he has a role, I don't know if it matters other than cannibalizing Austin Eckler. Yeah, and I'm always saying drop Justin Jackson. Like, we're going to draft, say, you know, you draft 16 guys. The back four guys on your roster, like, one of them at training camp is going to turn out to be the wide receiver seven on the Jets. Like, if you drafted a few months ago, you're like, I got Denzel Mims, Jets number two wide receiver. You found out very quickly you were wrong, and we will find out we are wrong on some guys. No one's going to draft this perfect 16-guy roster where everyone's a starter on their team. Right. There will be someone you can afford to drop. You just are not going to draft the perfect team. Justin Jackson was just an example of an ambiguous guy. And, yeah, we can talk more about him later because I, I have – I have a lot of jacks. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a political attack when you said something like that. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, yeah, talking about us not knowing, really, I mean, there's open chatter about Latavius Murray not making the final roster in New Orleans. So that's that's tough for my best ball teams. I will say that. All right, well, we are going to move now to some backfields uh, beyond just the Chargers, and we'll start in Miami where Malcolm Brown started the first preseason game, outsnapped Miles Gaskin 16-7 with the first-team offense. Brown had nine carries for a measly eight yards. Gaskin, four carries for 19 yards for whatever that's worth. I mean, I don't think guys were buying Brown as a standalone option in any way, but does this give you pause, Kyle, when it comes to Gaskin at all, or do you think it's more just kind of that veteran treatment for Malcolm Brown that we actually have seen in the past for him? Yeah, I mean, it. Like, I wasn't taking Gaskin before this. He fell perfectly in the range that I was just hammering wide receiver. And he started to fall like him, like as the market got sharper, like guys like him, Miles Sanders, DeAndre Swift started to fall. But they were falling before we knew this information. This information should cause them to plummet, really, unless they get to the point where I'm taking like my first running back on zero RB rosters, and I'm not going to assume that happens yet. I can't be taking any Miles Gaskin. This is exactly what we were fearing would happen. The market is going to come down on him. I doubt it comes down enough because we're not talking about like just, oh, maybe Malcolm Brown takes a little bit off. From what we saw, and it's only one preseason game, but it also has been the coaching staff talking up a full-blown committee. He's not. He's just going to be a passing downs back. Like, should we be drafting him where we draft David Johnson, who is also falling? But for me, that's the exact reason you don't take dead zone guys because we just assume, ah, we saw eight, 10 games of Miles Gaskin as the three down back last year. You just can't assume that that goes forward. The reason we saw that is because their backfield was completely wiped out. He was the only guy available. They brought in guys, even if we think Malcolm Brown is absolutely nothing. I really think like he is that, like uh, that Josh Kelly, like as Daigle said, the Josh Kelly type guy who just Mm -hmm. doesn't bring anything to the table. 
coaches don't care. They just want to give him the ball. He probably doesn't fumble it. I know he pass protects well. Coaches say that about him all the time. So if you're right. going to be siphoning off that work, no, I don't think Malcolm Brown is quite at that standalone value, but it completely removes. If I had any chance of like taking a falling Miles Gaskin, he's never going to fall to the point where I'll get him. He's been mostly off my board. Now he's completely off. Well, I don't know if he'll never fall there because if we get the same performance, which is what we should expect if the starters play far more into game two and everyone continues to see the key stat that, for instance, week one, um, Malcolm Brown played the only two third down snaps the first string offense did and had the only two carries inside the five-yard line that the first string offense had. And so if that continues to be the case, I think Miles Gaskin will continue following. Uh, and this, to your point, Kyle, is not a situation that I want to draft Malcolm Brown because even in this conundrum, I don't think he ever breaks out and delivers value. Absolutely. Especially since uh, Hayden Winks recently tweeted that his ADP in the past few days has jumped 20 spots, uh, whereas Miles Gaskin has fallen nearly that much. And so if Gaskin continues to fall, that's still the guy I'm taking and zero RB builds, let's say, or as an IB5 contingent plan, knowing that I can never start him if the if the conundrum stays in place. But if Malcolm Brown is injured for whatever reason, then I'm going right back to him, assuming that it becomes the situation from last year in which Gaskin was the workhorse with over 60% of the team's backfield touches and a 19% target share. And that's sort of the way I'm handling them right now. So uh, I'm trying to figure out right now in the moment where I would take Miles Gaskin, who is going in the end at the end of the fourth round at this at the moment. Okay, so I'm going down the list. I wouldn't take him above Kareem, Kareem Hunt. You can jump like eight spaces below. We don't have right. to rattle off these next eight guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know I couldn't. It would it would take the rest of the show. You know, uh, Damian Harris. No, I, I would take Harris. Michael Carter, I'm taking him. I'm, I'm still scrolling. I'm down to Ronald Jones in the seventh. Yes, I would take Ronald Jones over Gaskin. A.J. Dillon, I would take over Gaskin. I guess you're getting to the bottom of the eighth, early ninth round in 12-team leagues. That's where I would take Miles Gaskin, just to cut to the chase here. His margin for error was always razor thin in this precarious situation. The Dolphins coaches have kind of been telegraphing this Malcolm Brown thing for months now. Every coach with the Rams and now with Miami loves Malcolm Brown. They love that he pass protects. He loves that, like Kyle said, he's he's careful with the ball. He doesn't make mistakes. The rich fans, Frank Gore, they love him. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And and for fantasy, for fantasy, it doesn't register. And I and it it shouldn't. It shouldn't. You know, we're talking about Malcolm Brown, but it does have a, a huge impact on the snaps and the playing time and the opportunity of a Miles Gaskin. So. If Miles Gaskin falls into the eighth, I might take him. That's what I would say. Daigle, that rich man's Frank Gore line <laughs> just gave me visions of Malcolm Brown siphoning snaps from a promising young running back when he's like 36 yeah. years old. I mean, whatever, that's, eight years from now. I mean, that's Miles Gaskin. That's what's happening right now. Uh, I, I genuinely think he falls be, uh, even further than the eighth round. I think we're getting double-digit Miles Gaskin as long as this usage continues. Yeah. And again, I, I want that because right now I don't want to take him because his value hasn't dipped enough. But if I am envisioning his value dipping further, I'm ready to pounce. I, I don't hate that. Yeah, please, please fall into the 10th, Miles Gaskin. Then I, I'd be happy. Another running back whose ADP just has to be rising is Javante Williams out of Denver. Had five carries for 29 yards. Also had a touchdown run called back on a holding call, a play where he broke multiple tackles on his way to the end zone. Melvin Gordon missed that game with a groin injury. Either way, Javante Williams looked really impressive. Daigle, going to go back to you here. Did this preseason performance from him change where you'll be drafting him? Not really. Gordon has returned to practice with that groin injury and the time since we... 
uh, in the time since they kicked off in week one. Also, it was it was pretty telling. I, I attribute Drew Locks and Teddy Bridgewater's performance to this, that Courtney Cronin had like the list of inactives, a Vikings reporter, before the game, and they basically just benched everyone that mattered. Yeah. They just took all their mm-hmm. starting 22 out, uh, plus some important backups, and put them down and just decided to try guys out. And so, uh, like, that's why I think the Broncos' offense as a whole looked very good. Like, of course, four stringers can't contain KJ Hamler's four 240s. Um, and it was actually a, if you watch it, it's a broken safety coverage. Like, he didn't actually run himself open. The safety just, like, took a bit on the wrong thing. And so, no, I, I don't really put any emphasis into it. I will still continue drafting Javante Williams as I have before, and that is – as a running back contingent plan, as a guy I am not expecting to get value out of through the first month, perhaps even two months to start the year, mm-hmm. but someone I think can break out as a potential three-down option in the back half of the season, which is why I've really only been drafting him as an unusable RB1 and zero RB builds, right? Like if I stray from the path with six or seven wide receivers and then one running back and he's still there, I'll take him telling myself he's not going to be usable, forcing myself to draft four or five more pass-catching guys like a Naheem Hines, Jamie McKissick, who I think will have weekly roles. Or starting with an anchor, hero RB build, whatever the hell you want to call it, and then putting Javante Williams in my RB2 slot, knowing he's not actually my RB2, I'm going to be using someone with more weekly value until he breaks out. Yeah, I love him as that hero RB type of second mm-hmm. running back. If you can get someone, just any good first round, second round, even like maybe a third round running back like Clyde or Slayer slips there. If you can get your one hero running back and then just hammer wide receiver and come back with Javante Williams, you don't need Javante Williams to be great early in the season. And zero RB, like true zero RB where you don't draft any running backs, it is a little more difficult because you do have to make him probably the first running back you end up taking. Then you also have to pair him with a lot of that James White, you know, McKissick type of guys. It's hard to hit Javante, then go to Tony Pollard and then Latavius Murray. So you have to change the profile of running backs you follow him up with. So I I have been and will continue this confirms my priors, as most things do, just tend to confirm my priors. <laughs> that Javante is the he is talented, he is the better back, and it probably still won't like like with Malcolm Brown. They just they're gonna love Melvin Gordon's 3.7 yards per carry and ability to pick up two extra yards on some screen dump off. They're gonna love that for about three weeks, then they're gonna realize Javante's better. But you do have to know that even though his upside is like closing out the year with an eight-game stretch as a top eight, top ten running back. You're probably still getting a, an RB three four at best for the first four games, five games. So it definitely changes the profile of running backs you want to attack when you have Javante on your roster. But this just confirmed my priors that we're going to at some point see a really good stretch of games from Javante, and I'm going to keep drafting him where he is. I think you you are probably right about Javante Williams not really being super useful for fantasy in the first maybe month of the season. That's probably correct. I also think it's in the range of outcomes that the team realizes, you know, what they have. Don't tempt me with a good time, Denny. Don't tempt me with Javante starting week one. <laughs> I'm threatening you with a good time, in fact. And uh, and and that Melvin Gordon, who is on the outs anyway, is just not really part of, of the attack. You know, Melvin Gordon's now uh, dealing with some sort of groin issue. It's not serious, according to Vic Fangio, but he didn't do OTAs, talking about Melvin Gordon. In training camp, he has not stood out, uh, according to beat writers. Uh, he just... I don't know. I, it just seems like the veteran, the kind of veteran thing where he is fading into the background. Javante Williams, you know, looked incredibly explosive. I understand it was against the Vikings 20th rank, uh, you know, 20th string defense, but it is definitely in the range of outcomes where Javante Williams just bursts onto the scene and he's an instant fantasy starter. Also, 
it's uglier, much uglier, not sexy whatsoever, but uh, it's in the range of outcomes that I think Melvin Gordon is still the starter. Benjamin Albright has been on top of this. He's locked into the Broncos, Cecil Lammy as well. And uh, it very much seems like Melvin Gordon is the first string offense for better or worse. Um, and it's also in the range of outcomes that maybe like Javante Williams gets injured. And so like the more Melvin Gordon dips as well, right. I've actually been taking him in ugly builds too, in some cases. Yeah. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. But um, I, I got him in the 11th round in a redraft league yes. the other day. And it was like, I just, I couldn't justify not taking him there. You got to go watch like some, you know, some footage from a few years ago about Melvin Gordon. Get yourself hyped up to make that pick. It's <laughs> yeah. a good way but to not go. too long ago, because then you'll go back to his rookie season, which was also terrible. Or his holdout. And that, that was bad because Austin Eckler was just wrecking the world. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like 2017, he had an yeah. incredible yeah. Saturday night game. I remember. Let's just go back to Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. One other backfield to mention. We've talked about Michael Carter a fair amount lately, but in the wake of the Jets preseason game, want to quickly hit that backfield where in that preseason opener, no one really had impressive numbers, but the distribution of carries maybe is worth noting here. Michael Pirine handled 12 carries. Ty Johnson had nine. Michael Carter had seven. Danny, in the wake of this, do you have any uh, additional Michael Carter concerns? Um, a little bit. So, uh, John, I saw that you, you tweeted the other day that, uh, Tevin Coleman missed because of a personal uh, reason. Well, right? Yes. Yeah. So I had put that he missed because of rest, which is actually good. Like everyone says, you know, they're off the field or whatever, but it's actually good when the coaches rest players in the first game, because that means they're important to the team. We're going to get to someone about that in a minute, but I actually missed it. It was, it was for a personal matter. Um, so I would just say that Tevin Coleman is still being used as the primary first string running back in camp. And that's what we know right now. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I, I do think Tevin Coleman is, is worth a flyer. I, I wrote about that recently on, on NBC sports edge. You know, if you have a zero running back build and you just you need some backfield snaps, basically, you know, you need you need someone to plug in there. There's nothing in Tevin Coleman's history to suggest that he's long for that job, you know, whether it's the injury uh, issues or, you know, that just the inefficient play and consistent play, I should say. I, I just don't see a scenario where, you know, he establishes himself as the unquestioned number one back. I do think, you know, that Ty Johnson is a potential issue maybe for Michael Carter. I know that sounds funny, but Ty Johnson has been pretty good when given the chance last year, Frank Gore exited a, a late season game. It may have been the last game of the season and Ty Johnson came in and I think went over a hundred yards and, and scored a touchdown. So, you know, he's serviceable. It does make me a, a, a little queasy about going all in on Carter in mm -hmm. at his uh, six round ADP. I will say that. Yeah, I believe Ty Johnson uh, was the one getting the third down reps in that preseason game. Again, it could, you know, it's tough to say exactly what to make of this because they just didn't have Tevin Coleman, who, as Daigle said, probably starts off the year as the 1A that it's, it's looked like in training camp so far. So I don't know how much we read into this other than the status quo of that. Even like, say, Tevin Coleman's got cut for whatever reason. Like, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen, but they probably still wouldn't use Michael Carter as a three down back. They would give Ty Johnson that third down role. So even if truly like calamity struck to Tevin Coleman, it's not just going to the moon for Michael Carter. So I still like him where he's going, but I do think, you know, you, you probably have to do the, the Melvin Gordon style thing where maybe you pair him with someone else. I think his upside just as a prospect and the draft capital spent on him doesn't give you that kind of Javante Williams upside. So maybe, maybe you just take these backfields and you pair your Javante Williams with Tevin Coleman, or then you pair your Michael Carter with Melvin Gordon, but they are both guys. I, I don't feel great about at the start of the season, especially like I, I do actually kind of agree, Denny, that that Javante Williams, like 
small split in week one and immediately takes over by two or three. It happens faster. I think that's in his range of outcomes. I'm not really sure we have that type of a catastrophic upside, you know, this crazy upside with Carter. So I, I do think Carter is fine at his ADP. He makes sense for the builds that I'm going for because he is a running back who should get touches in week one uh, in the time where I'm moving out of wide receiver. But he's not a guy I'm dying to get ahead of ADP. If he falls, I like him. But I do think there is some sort of like systemic risk of him not really being viable for five, six, seven, eight, even eight weeks. Well, I had been getting ahead on him in ADP before. The issue is that, and maybe I shouldn't re- overreact to week one, but I needed more confidence, honestly, because mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not the archetype like Javante Williams. Like Javante mm-hmm, Williams is yep. two inches taller and 12 pounds heavier. Like, uh, my, so Michael Carter needing to show us that he can be a three down option is kind of what I needed to see in week one. So if anything, I feel like I was jumping the gun and now need to back off a bit, especially if Ty Johnson is involved. Like that's what I did not expect. Maybe Michael P Ryan, since he was a receiving back in college anyhow, mm-hmm. but the fact, now that when Tevin Coleman comes back, perhaps both Ty Johnson and P. Ryan are involved as well. That's what's concerning here. So, yeah, I think I back off. We back off Carter just a hair now. Yeah, exactly. What you needed to see from Carter was sure. You're, you're not going to never, like you said, he's just not built to be a guy who gets every one of the first and second down carries, mm-hmm. but you wanted to see some of those and then receiving down work. So Tevin Coleman mm-hmm. just gets a split of the carries and does not, and no one else takes targets away from Carter. But that's not what we saw. Like, and Ty Johnson's a good, good pass. He's the, he's the Malcolm Brown type, but I actually think he might be like kind of low key good. So I think he's a guy that is probably going to end up being a thorn on our side. If you have Michael Carter, maybe Carter emerges later in the season as the pass catching back, but early in the season, like we shouldn't be surprised to see Ty Johnson out there for some third downs. And that is concerning for Carter because we don't expect him to get 18 carries a game, something absurd like that. He just doesn't have that in his profile. I got to say, it really is a breath of fresh air to be able to mention the name Tevin Coleman multiple times without Pat Doherty basically vomiting everywhere. <laughs> so it's just been refreshing. We, we were able to have level. a serious conversation about Tevin Coleman. <laughs> That's what the world has been waiting for. But but somewhere, Pat is... Um, you Still know, vomiting. Not, uh, he, he has fainted and has, yeah. is just, is just yes. lying on the ground somewhere. All right, we have more to come, some wide receiver updates and late round running backs to hit. We are going to first take a quick break. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. 
For the first time in history, the two biggest sporting events on the planet unite with the Super Bowl and the Winter Olympics on NBC this February. Go to NBCSports.com slash once in a lifetime for a chance to win a once in a lifetime VIP experience of your choice. No purchase necessary, void where prohibited, have to be 18 or older to enter. Ends February 4th, subject to official rules. Meanwhile, on Thursday night, that will be tomorrow, I want to mention that Patrick WWE Darty will be hosting a 12-team <laughs> expert live mock draft. You can catch it on our YouTube channel Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And one other quick thing to mention for rankings, projections, tiers, mock drafts, sleepers, busts, and more. Check out the NBC Sports Edge draft guide available now. Looking forward to getting Pat's opinion on Roman Reigns versus John Cena for the title. Going to be a good conversation because I know he's looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, man. Pat, Pat and I talked about little else, by the way. At the at the Fantasy Expo, Pat and I talked about all those people that you just said constantly. The, the Expo, by the way, which I heard, Denny, you were the celebrity of the night. Every time yeah. I looked on social media, there's a photo of Denny. Like someone's just taking a selfie with the celebrity himself. They, well, they the people like uh, the living, breathing memes, uh, and and so when they when they saw me, they just you know they had to had to take a picture with a meme. Makes sense. All right, moving on to some receiver-related notes. You alluded to this a second ago, Daigle. Brian Edwards did not suit up for the preseason opener. He was resting there. Now, John Brown did play, had just one target. So reports out of Raiders camp have been consistently hyping Edwards over Brown recently. And as you said, it's probably a actually a good thing that Edwards was resting. So Kyle, first, are you on board with Edwards? And secondly, do we believe that Brown is really off the radar or... Are Gruden and Carr going to somehow make him relevant again? Yeah, I don't know if he's off the radar entirely, but in terms of fit, like if he's on the radar, it's as a guy where every once in a while he comes in and has a four target game and you say, dang, I wish that was Brian Edwards. I'm not drafting John Brown anymore. I still think he does appear Mm -hmm. in three wide receiver sets probably, but at this point I'm not even 100% sure of that. I still think he probably is a three wide receiver set guy, but all reports for camp that when they go too wide, it's going to be Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards. And Edwards was an incredible prospect. He was like, he was a South Carolina prospect who broke out early high dominator he was basically everything we wanted to see from a guy who doesn't get to play on a high profile offense he was never going to get to post 1400 yards because his offense was never going to allow that so for me edwards is like the perfect sort of post hype breakout type of guy and everywhere other than like the really sharp best ball platforms his adp isn't going through the moon it, it did get really high on underdog but in your more casual leagues it's going to be so easy to scoop up brian edwards i, I really think based on his profile based on now that they're like they clearly see him as one of their starting two receivers by resting him. He's the type of guy you want to get back in and on before the ADP rises. So yeah, I have a decent amount of Edwards and in every league that I don't think is really going to pump him up. I'm just, I'm going to jump around ahead and get him every time. Well, it's, we tr- always try to be black and white, but like you can have a gray area, right? Uh, you can say and know that they bench Brian Edwards with the starters. Thus, he is a starter. And then you can also say, I'm too old to have an opinion on this. Just draft him. I don't care. He's a 15th to 18th round pick. Why Like, why would I get in your way? It doesn't matter. So just take your last round, guys. I mean, I'm the one touting Wayne Gallman. And uh, I don't care if you want to draft Wayne Gall, but it's fine because he's the last round pick. We're all going to be wrong anyway. So no, like if you want him, take him. He's a starter. Um, but like, don't say he's the one. Like when you tell me he's going to lead the Raiders wide receivers and targets, I say, great, have at it. Like, uh, what does that win? What does that matter? So that that's my that's my decision. It's like, I'm probably not going to draft him, but he's a starter, so have fun. Well, I, I've never missed on a, on a last round, <laughs> just uh, for, for the record. I mean, you are a celebrity, so that makes uh, sense. That's what people follow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so follow me for last round pick advice. But I think we are 
at least I am, I have underestimated the impact of the 2020 COVID offseason on rookies. I saw an interview the other day with Adam Troutman where he talked about Trout Daddy. <laughs> That's right. right. Well, Stroup was fired, so that was cool. It's got to yeah, be right, one of those in on the show. We'll see you later. Um, yeah, so Troutman said, you know, we were three to four months behind where the rookies today are uh, in this, you know, not as COVID offseason uh, in, in 2021. I think that that had a huge impact on a lot of rookies, um, both physically, uh, you know, mentally being prepared in every way to play in the league. And, you know, so someone like Brian Edwards, who, you know, had his moments in camp, he was a, he at, a, at one point last year, he was a, a training camp superstar, just like he is today. Uh, and we all got excited about it. And, and Kyle said correctly that Brian Edwards was and, and, and is an, an incredible prospect as a receiver. So maybe we just need to cut him some slack uh, and take him late in, in, in the draft. The problem with a guy like Edwards is like, who, who are you going to start him over? Unless you're in like a, a deep league with a bunch of flex spots and you feel feel pretty good about throwing mm-hmm. him in there, it will be difficult at first to figure out who you're going to start him over. All right. In Arizona, with the caveat that DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, if you care about such things, didn't play. Rondell Moore was involved early for the Cardinals, caught three or four targets for 23 yards, ran twice for 16 yards. Daigle, what do you take away from that usage, if anything at all? Well, it's the exact way we thought he'd be used, um, with a depth of target slightly over five yards, I believe. Um, recall that that's where he did his had his production in college. Uh, it was slightly shocking. Well, not shocking to see him used in the slot. Um, I just wish we had more information with – DeAndre Hopkins and perhaps Larry Fitzgerald out there. Uh, But right now, just the fact that in this setting, Christian Kirk played on the outside and Rondo Moore played in the slot where we want him to play. um, That makes me, I feel like I never dipped on him. Like I'm still in the same position as I always was thinking he's a easy rookie breakout candidate, especially because Pat Corain earlier in the offseason had research on how we find and sift through rookie breakout wide receivers. And one of the main takeaways he had is that usually they're on teams with a star receiver hogging the best defenders. And that's like Ron Delmore to the T, an athletically gifted player with DeAndre Hopkins taking away the best defender from the slot. So I'm still high on him, um, and I think there will be situations, honestly, in redraft to play him as a flex option. Yeah, I do think. I mean, it's hard, again, we're we're talking about one week of, of preseason, and it's not a full game of preseason. It's, it's a, a few drives, a quarter, a half. So I don't want to over extrapolate what we saw, but I do think this really puts it in a frame that we could see week one where Rondale is a starter playing primarily in the slot, and then AJ Green and Christian Kirk are the guys who rotate in and out as they move between three and four wide receiver, and, and maybe even some two tight end. They ran a little bit of that last year, but I do think that it's very possible that Rondale is a starter, not an every snap player, but a starter who they scheme touches to from week one, whereas there are other rookie wide receivers where I I am similarly bullish on, but I don't know what we're going to get from them in week one. Rondale, I can't say we're 100% sure on it, but I do think there is, uh, like, things are pointing in the direction of him being a viable deep flex flex option from the jump. And that is really valuable to just have some baseline level of production to start out. And then as he gets more ingratiated in the offense, he really can be a true breakout in the second half or even earlier of the season. I think uh, Rondell Moore was always ideal for the horizontal raid in Arizona. And I think what we saw uh, in, in week in preseason week one against Dallas confirmed that, you know, the, the standard scoring truthers not going to like Rondell Moore. You know, we, we, we already know that, Lots of cheap little targets, lots of short uh, short catches. 
he has the athleticism, obviously, to do a lot with those catches, whereas last year, Larry Fitzgerald got a lot of those looks. I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say Rondell Moore is more athletic than latter-day Larry Fitzgerald. You know, that's – that's. But I, I'm bold. Uh, so – Clip that off. Hey, clip that <laughs> off, Adam. Thanks. It's controversial, but I, I'm sticking by it. You know, in, in the way I draft my teams, obviously, everybody knows how I do that uh, – only bad can, players, correct. You can get only bad players. I make an exception for Rondell Moore. <laughs> so, you know, and, and you can get more as you're like, I don't even know, wide receiver, five, six at this point, depending on, I guess, depending on how you draft. But, man, in PPR, I think he's going to be he's going to be fun. All right, just a few more receiver notes to hit. In New Orleans, there was already some buzz about Marquez Callaway. Then he went out and caught three balls for 61 yards against the Ravens. Danny, going to go back to you. How much has the needle moved for you when it comes to Callaway so far? I mean, is this a similar conversation to Brian Edwards? So uh, Greg Rosenthal came on the show like a month ago and told us Marquez Callaway is the wide receiver one in New Orleans. Forget Like he's the only receiver I would consider drafting. And we all had a good laugh. And now I'm <laughs> embarrassed uh, because uh, obviously he was right. I mean, he, I, you know, Traycon Smith has missed or missed 10 or 11 days uh, with a leg injury. He is now, Traycon Smith is now back at camp. But it's clear, according to Nick Underhill, the, the excellent uh, Saints B writer, that Marquez Callaway is the wide receiver one in that offense. And we saw, we saw that in, in their first game against the Ravens. Now, everything changes. For everybody, when Michael Thomas comes back, who who really knows when that will be. But I think that Callaway is a guy who can kind of hold you over if you, you know, say go running back heavy and need some warm bodies to put in wide receiver or, or, or the flex spot. Uh, I think he could just fall into a bunch of targets. And it seems like, you know, he's not bad. If Michael Thomas does, in fact, sit out for half the season, uh, if he's on the pup list, let's say, He's out the first six games. That means he's out until at least week eight since they have a bye week jammed in between there. And then you don't even know the rate, like how many snaps he'll be healthy enough to receive. So I, I, I'm genuinely treating Callaway as if he's good for at least half the season. He has been emerging in camp as the team's not only number two, but number one over Traquan Smith. Uh, Traquan Smith returned earlier this week, so we'll see if he catches up to speed, something he really hasn't done in his NFL career just yet. But more importantly than his performance, I'm taking away the fact that he played with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston with those offenses this weekend. And just the fact that he's going to be on the field and he has popped, he's at least been a viable NFL receiver when given opportunity last year. And so that's why I'm still prioritizing him because the ADPs haven't shifted too much. Like he Callaway went up a little bit, but Traquan Smith is still there. And so I will continue taking the lesser roster player, the better value throughout the summer. Yeah, not even the better value at this point. He just looks like the better player. Like the, the I, entire training camp has just said that we have one guy in Traquan Smith who, I mean, we're not even, they haven't seen much of him because he hasn't been with practice, but we're not sure what his role is going to be if, if he has much of a role at all. Then we have one guy, Marquez Callaway, who's been nothing but impressive. Last year, as it, like a UDFA who really, like UDFAs are drawing so dead to even make a roster, to come on, earn a handful of starts and look competent when you don't have an offseason as a guy with no expectations already set upon you was really impressive. Now they have done 
done nothing but confirm the fact that they like Marquez Callaway as their number one. And like you said, Daigle, we really are looking at like half a season of Marquez Callaway being his team's number one receiver. I don't think he looks like a traditional number one receiver. He's mostly a, a downfield threat kind of guy, but that kind of guy can be your number one receiver. We've seen it like, it reminds me of last year with Nelson Aguilar, a guy who really had such low expectations, but is good enough to lead his team in targets when he has a second player to take on targets. In this case, it's probably going to be Alvin Kamara. So you can have a guy who has a lot of spike weeks because he gets a decent amount of targets at a high dot. He leads his team, at least his receivers, in target share and still racks up a ton of air yards. So I think it's going to be an offense that's maybe not the most exciting passing attack, but when you have such a large share of your team's air yards or your team's targets, you really don't have anyone behind you in the receiver tree pressing you for those targets, you can be fine. It's a guy like Jacoby Myers last year as well. Like, not the best offense to target, but when you have such a high share of those targets, sure, that's good enough. And I think Callaway is clearly set up to be that guy. It's just not Traquan Smith. So I'm going to keep drafting Callaway. I don't think I don't think people are going to put enough respect on his name to really push him where he should be. I almost shudder to bring up this next one. But in Baltimore, Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown are both injured. A groin for Bateman, a hamstring for Hollywood Brown. And coming back to you, Kyle, because based on our pre-show conversation, it sounds like maybe this has you thinking about dare I say it, Mr. Week One himself, oh. Sammy Watkins? It is perfect, too. It's not like he's uh, he's going to be set up for an injury, you know, injuries to push him to the wide receiver one role in the middle of the season. That wouldn't be Sammy Watkins style. He is a, a week one player if we've <laughs> ever seen one. I mean, I'm not dying to get him. Were we really dying to get like, like who would who would have been the number two uh, last year on this team? Like the the field stretchers they had, Des Bryant, whatever, in the middle of the season. We weren't Boykin. dying to get Des Bryant. It was Boykin, Boykin uh, who is the slot receiver that I think went to uh, Las Vegas. They had no one behind Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and the guys they did have, we were not clamoring to get on our rosters, but if Marquise Brown is, I don't even want to say not ready for week one, but if he's just banged up for week one, they can't give him a full allotment of snaps. We could see pseudo wide receiver one for his team specifically, Sammy Watkins. He's a guy I'm fine stashing at the end of my drafts because I think anytime you can get some semblance of targets from Lamar Jackson, even if they're not a ton of targets, you have good touchdown upside. You have good big play upside, but he kind of falls into that. Uh, the way Dago talked about Brian Edwards, like it makes sense. I'm not dying to do it, but I certainly understand why you would go there. Has Sammy Watkins also returned to practice yet? Because I, he got injured as well. Right now, I believe they're dealing with Bateman, Marquise Brown, Watkins, Miles Boykin, and Deion Kane injured. Dude, five, De- five of their receivers. Deion Kane is on this roster. I got yeah. to be honest. Deion Kane is on this roster. You are breaking news for me right now. Hey, he may have been absent only a couple days. It's very hard to like always sit through the injuries at camp because even like COVID list guys are out two days and they return and you're like, oh, I need to mark them back down. But uh, right now I know they're dealing with a ton of wide receiver injuries. Uh, but Lamar Jackson is back. Gus Edwards is back. So it's just something I am continuing to monitor uh, because like genuinely they don't have, that's why they're playing James approach like a, a number of snaps in preseason because they don't have anyone else to lean on. And it could be Tylen Wallace wide receiver one season in, in week one. If this, if these injuries continue, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But mostly I think, I think this, this is probably great for Mark Andrews, right? I mean, it, I just feel like those targets might just filter down down to well, him. That's that's the astronaut meme. It was always great for it Mark was always, Andrews. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and as the you know, Lamar Jackson always looks for Mark Andrews. You know, his his targets are never going to be up there with like a wall or anything because the Ravens don't pass that much. But um, you know, if if these injuries persist and if guys are limited in week one. 
it might just be Andrews who benefits. Are we about to transition to Zach Ertz, uh, Matt? We are. Okay, let me do it real quick because <laughs> okay, I got to go, guys. This is the issue in. Well, not the issue. This is Mark Andrews, right? Uh, and taking him over Hawkinson, uh, Goddard, even let's say like that range, which you know I have him ranked over confidently because Andrews has always been a touchdown guy, and I know it's hard to predict, but at the tight end position, it doesn't matter. Like beyond tight end three, uh, I guess Kyle Pitts makes it perhaps makes it tight end four now. Who cares? Just take just take the guy with a uh, touchdown equity with upside. Or beyond that, that's when you start getting into, well, he ran all these routes, screw it. I don't care how he does. I'll just play that. And our Andrews is the touchdown guy, which is why you should have him ranked higher. Everyone makes the Zach Ertz argument. Well, the fact is that Ertz had clearly more targets than Goddard, but Goddard actually had more fantasy points on one catch than Ertz because Goddard is the better player. And so, like, maybe, maybe you get higher Ertz. I don't even think you need to, honestly, because he's going to deliver just that. He's not an explosive player. He's been a pontoon boat the last five years of his career. He's not going to deliver much except <laughs> delivering like catches and falling over. That's it. So, of course, maybe I downgrade Goddard a couple spots, but genuinely his efficient efficiency can still rise above all those other guys because that position beyond Titan four just doesn't matter. Yeah, one catch for 34 yards for Goddard and two for 20 for Ertz, who, dare I say, to call back to last week's show, is kind of going late career Jason Witten on us. Uh, again, astronaut meme, he was always Jason Witten. You know, and I, I think <laughs> we're just going to keep doing that in this show. Uh, calling him a, pl- a pontoon boat is one of the funniest things I've, I've heard recently, John. That was, thank you for that. I'm going to steal that from you. Um, Please do. As far as redraft goes... Not interested in Ertz unless the Eagles somehow deal him in the next, like, what, three weeks or something. And then Ertz sticking around has pushed Goddard down to the point where it feels sometimes, depending on the league, it feels like, why not? You know, he's going in the seventh or eighth round. You could do worse, as we say. Yeah, you could do worse. I We're think- about to do worse in a second with some running backs, but go ahead, Kyle. No. Finish your thought. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Zach Ertz is the kind of guy that in a best ball, if you have Travis Kelsey or like the week Travis Kelsey's on by, I'll get six points from Zach Ertz. And I guess if that literally costs me nothing to acquire, if it is my last pick, Mm -hmm. six points on the one week Travis Kelsey doesn't deliver because he's on by and he literally delivers every other other week. He's just that good. Sure. That's fine. Because why, why spend up to get Evan Ingram? Who's never going to usurp your Travis Kelsey weeks. And you can just do the same with Zach Ertz. Otherwise there's really no reason to be rostering him. All right, before we go, Denny recently had a draft strategy column up on NBC Sports Edge. One of the sections, a robust section, you might say, was on late round running back flyers. Now, this will be a shock to many that Denny is thinking about obscure running backs in mid-August. But here we are. Denny, wanted to give you a quick opportunity to highlight a few of your favorites from that list and let the panel respond. So have at it. So this is uh, a piece I wrote uh, based on drafting, you know, two, three, four weeks before opening day, you know, before the NFL season starts. Basically, I I said, uh, you know, you should not draft a kicker and a defense uh, if your platform of choice allows you to do that and instead pick up a couple running back flyers, uh, kind of lottery ticket guys who who could fall into opportunity uh, depending on what happens in this preseason and in, and in training camp. You can take the strategy to the extreme in 10-team leagues, I think, especially if you just avoid, I know this sounds nuts, and people were not not happy with this. I, and I understand uh, if you just don't draft any onesie positions and that means you're, you're not drafting quarterback, tight end defense kicker, and you're just piling up 
late round running backs who could, you know, like I said, fall into a lot of opportunity. I highlighted a bunch. I highlighted more than I meant to, but uh, th- there are a lot out there. You know, in, in Atlanta, Kadri Allison would be the primary running back starter, presumably, if Mike Davis uh, goes down. Mike Davis, you know, entering a role he's never really had before, ran out of gas in a in a very disturbing way last season uh, after a full workload in Carolina. I think Allison is a guy, again, not a great player, but, you know, someone who could get a bunch of snaps in what could be a, a balanced offense coached by Arthur Smith. You know, there's Boston Scott in, in, in Philadelphia who's been splitting first team reps reportedly with Miles Sanders in, in Eagles camp. Maybe that's overblown, but it, even if it is, you know, you can get Scott in the last three or four rounds of your draft. Just just do it. And if anything happens to Sanders, you you probably have the Eagles primary running back. I know Ramondre Stevenson was uh, temporarily canceled uh, after, you know, uh, having a non-football injury and then the... Uh, New England running backs coach saying some, some harsh things about the rookie, but uh, I think he's another guy. Just scoop him up, see what happens. Much Tony Michelle maybe gets released uh, at the end of August, early September. And, and Stevenson is then one snap away from being the early down running back in a, uh, in what should be a pretty good New England running attack. So I, I just hi- highlighting guys who you can get. You never know. Don't act like the season starts tomorrow. We still have a long way to go. Also, I don't know if he makes the cut for, let's say, 20-round redraft leagues, but I have seen Kenneth Gainwell snaps. Uh, yeah. You just mentioned Boston Scott and Miles Sanders splits in camp. I'm not out on Gainwell. I know a lot of people said they're suddenly out, but like a guy ex- playing exclusively passing downs, absolutely is something I want, especially because they just waived on Johnson on Tuesday. So the depth chart got even thinner. Uh, I am not of the belief. Like I think Kenny Gainwell, it's still my bet that he's a talented enough player to eventually make a role for himself. And maybe that's an easy drop in week one if he does not. But if you have a deep bench, deep bench, then uh, I'm, that's someone I'm still trying to add. Yeah, I think Gainwell is the perfect example of the guy you almost you want to be able to cut. You want to get to week one, and it turns out, oh, Gainwell, like the, he actually performed really well in the final weeks of training camp, had a really good final week of the preseason, and it turns out he could have played himself into a role. And if he doesn't, he was he was hardly even he was hardly even going to get drafted in your league. He's a guy you can feel comfortable cutting. It's not like you're missing out on anything. If you do end up getting to the end of preseason, getting to the start of week one, you're like, well, I didn't draft a defense. I got to switch someone out. Like, it's okay to have guys that are cuttable. It's better to have a guy that you can move on from instead of having a guy who, like, say, Brian Edwards is still the starter, but he goes out and runs a ton of routes and gets three targets week one. I'm going to be the idiot holding on to him for eight weeks while he doesn't get any targets and just runs wind sprints if he turns out to just be not that good or there's not enough targets to go around. Mm -hmm. For a lot of guys at the end of your draft, you want them to be contingent. You want them to be almost analog. Yes, no. This guy is going to play a role or he isn't going to play a role. You don't want to have a roster with five guys at the back end that you think you have to hold on to and you end up missing out on good waiver wire runs, on streaming through great defenses and good matchup, getting different kickers. You want some amount of guys who you can comfortably move on from and Gainwell is kind of the good example of that I think the Chargers backfield sand uh, obviously without Austin Eckler has some guys who like maybe they like Josh Kelly and maybe you think he could be something in an offense that is going to be probably really good but it turns out by the time preseason ends 
it was Justin Jackson all along. Just cut him and move on. The same thing with, for me, it's already been JV on Hawkins. For leagues where I was drafting JV on Hawkins, that dream's already dead. I've probably already cut him because it looks like it's going to be Contre Olsen. <laughs> also in, in bad situations, like let's say David Johnson and Philip Lindsay. Uh, like I've been thinking about that a lot and oh, that shows how pathetic, uh, yeah, it shows how pathetic my <laughs> life is, but like Philip Lindsay now we assume is going to lead the team in carries, even though it's a conspicuous situation because they healthy scratched Mark Ingram, meaning he's going to be on their final roster. They don't even need to see him. He's David Coley's friend from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We know plus he's genuinely a great personality to have in the locker room. You need a Mark Ingram when you're going to go 0 and 17. And <laughs> what do you actually get when you say, when you tell me Philip Lindsay leads the team in carries, is that a reason to increase him? No, because like the running back that leads the Texans and carries probably has less value than the guy who is stricken, exclusively going to play passing downs. David Johnson probably exceeds Lindsey's fantasy production. Let's say Lindsey has 12 for 54. David Johnson exceeds that with four carries as exclusively or four catches exclusively with as the pass catching back because those points are valuable in half PPR and PPR leagues. Whereas like the carries, whatever, they're probably going to get you nowhere in a team that is not favored in a single game in Vegas. And we know will be perpetually in a black hole loop of negative game scripts. So if anything, like I'm happy to see the David Johnson dip, especially for like zero RB builds, but I'm waiting to take a last guy because I genuinely think like maybe he provides a week or two of value in that role. Whereas I, I don't think the guy who leads the Texan carries has any value. Yeah, the the average Philip Lindsay carry comes from his own nine yard line, and because they're losing within two minutes of every game, there are not many of those own nine yard line carries to even go around. Yeah, I think I mean this is like, I, I guess it's better for Philip Lindsay because before this he was probably just strictly a backup, but it's not like we're dying to get Philip Lindsay now. So yeah, I, I think. Buying the dip on David Johnson is interesting. He's just like so so dusty, but on some of these zero RB teams, he's going to fall to the point where you're going to get probably still all of the all of the passing downs work. And I don't think he's drawing to two carries a game. I still think he's going to have some role as a, a between-the-tackles guy. So, yeah, I think maybe the the dip is at least worth buying on David Johnson. You were going to say something, Danny? Yeah, we, we, we need a podcast where John just talks about the Texans. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you need a Mark Ingram in your locker room when you're going to go on 17. Like, if someone had enough time, Danny, I think this is what you're going to thinking, like, we need a supercut of off-season Daigle just ripping the Texans because we've had some just beauties. Crushing them. I mean, you you are you are relentless. You're ruthless. And, I mean, and, and it's it's de- it's deserved. It's deserved. Okay, they like, tried like to it. end training camp two weeks early, and the NFL had to ban them. They had to say no. Deshaun Watson is still showing up in camp as a as a third string quarterback and fifth string safety. <sighs> like, of course, they deserve no. to be ripped. It's great. You're you're never more animated. You're you're never more passionate than when you talk about yeah. the terrible Texans. And I, found I my calling. I, I appreciate it. I I just want you to know. You could be one of those beat reporters who are all like, "Yeah, I like that guy because he hates his team," and that feels honest. Yeah. That's yeah. just John McClain. He has that. Yeah, yeah. He has that corner already taken. Really, really quickly, guys, because we were talking about the Eagles backfield, I found myself thinking Miles Sanders has been a really hard guy for me to figure out in terms of rankings and in fantasy heading into this season. I don't know who wants to take the lead here, but are you guys in on Sanders, out on Sanders? I mean, obviously, he was an early round guy last year. Big disappointment. Is there a chance for a bounce back this year? Where where has the panel landed on Sanders? I am still fading him. Uh, I think he's in a bad range for what I believe his role to be. I am still of the belief that he's between the 20s guy in a quarry, in a three-headed, four-headed conundrum. 
And um, nothing from this week one changed my opinion on that. Even if it's incorrect, I will continue approaching him as such. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, I just think it's so difficult to see a way he really succeeds, given how much they've talked up Boston Scott, given how much we believe if Boston Scott doesn't end up being the third down back, it's because Kenneth Gainwell was very good. It's not that Boston Scott was bad. It's that Gainwell was good enough to usurp him. It seems like he's drawing so dead to really have high leverage touches, especially with a running quarterback who could be used at the goal line. He is going to give you the the least calories in all of his touches. I've seen him fall like to the end of the fifth, top of the sixth in like, you you know, in the best balls where everyone's going hammering wide receiver. I've gotten him a tiny bit then, but even then I feel grimy. And by the end of the draft, I regret it. I just, I'm like, I really could have gotten the same style of carries from like Latavius Murray rounds and rounds and rounds later. So I think for me, I probably have been, buying the dip even times where I end up saying I shouldn't have. You know, you have to make a choice. If you really want Sanders for some reason on your team, you have to take him over Daryl Henderson. Uh-uh. No. Take him over Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, Miles Gaskin. I guess I would say I would take Sanders over. I, obviously, from what I said earlier, you have to pass up some, you know, some pretty decent plays in order to get Sanders. Also, Jalen Hurts really didn't check down last year. Uh, you know, I, I did a piece on rushing quarterbacks and – their targeting of uh, different positions, including running back. Not so much with Jalen Hurts. All right. Beyond Danny's draft guide, draft strategy column, and the draft guide, which we already mentioned, anything you guys would like to promote on the site before we go? These raking changes we talked about, plus some, are now updated in the back uh, Kyle is doing that work. He's aggregating all the information. So um, you can still use the promo code football10 to get access to that if you're in redraft season mode as we are already and see our rankings plus our tiers and update got pushed through last night if you're listening to this now. So uh, everything should be updated accordingly. Plus we will continue to do so after the second week and after the third week of preseason as well. Yeah, it's these rankings plus many other ones. There were some players who I was like, I'm going to move, you know, this player had a good preseason game, one or two spots, flip them. And that happened so many times. We didn't get to talk about all these guys on the show, but lots of updates tomorrow. I will actually have basically a log of all of our updates called adjust the ranks coming out. So you will get to see some of the biggest movers again, probably still not all of them. Cause I can't imagine writing for that long about all the guys who have done something worth moving in preseason, but you can at least check that out to see some of the big rises and followers within our ranks specifically. I talked to a Bucks beat writer uh, looking for clarity on the backfield and on the receiver target distribution. Uh, there were some some helpful little nuggets in there if you'd like to check it out. I thought you were going to say I talked to a Bucks beat writer looking for clarity. Hard stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will not cite the uh, running back snaps from week one of the preseason. Just know um, Denny's on the right path with Gio Bernard. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Big day on Thursday, as I said. WWE superstar The Miz will be here on the podcast live on YouTube at 2 p.m. Eastern. Then on Thursday night at 8 Eastern, it's a live expert mock draft. Thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and joining us live on YouTube today. Danny, Daigle, Kyle, thanks to all you guys. Talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.